Whether it's hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field, or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field, we're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. With Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! Go! Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. We're talking offensive depth chart tonight. We're getting ready for spring practice, so we're going to take a look ahead, try to predict what that spring depth chart might look like on the offensive side of the ball this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about defense, so make sure to tune back in the following week for that. We've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Baseball getting off with their season started in the right direction down in Arlington. They're playing right now as we speak. So we might recap a little bit of the game with Dallas Baptist here in the midweek. And then we'll be talking softball as they kind of coasted to victory down in Lake Charles. And then we'll wrap things up with March Madness or potentially March Sadness. We'll see where that conversation goes. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, Adam. I turned 30 last weekend, so spent the weekend celebrating some birthday festivities. Actually went up to Boulder. Um, had a nice dinner with the, the fiance and her family. Ran into, ran into Phil Lodeholt, as a matter of fact. Uh, gave him a boomer sooner. It was good to see him. And uh, had a chance to go uh, watch the Colorado Avalanche play yesterday. So fiance surprised him with some tickets. And uh, it was a good weekend, man. Obviously super excited. A lot of things going on right now in the world of OU athletics. It's the busiest time of year. Uh, with the uh, all the different athletic programs that are a part of the University of Oklahoma, spring football is about to get underway here in just a couple more weeks. It's uh, it's a good time, man. I'm excited for what we've got to talk about tonight. How are things with you, man? Nice hat. Nice hat. Yes, thank you for noticing. I was at the Sooner Sit Down put on by Red Dirt Media. We are a Red Dirt Media show. Um, a lot of people watching or listening probably know uh, Red Dirt Rambles from Nick Anderson and Caden Helms. They just added the Dial It Up podcast and show with uh, Trevor mm-hmm. Knight there. He had his first episode last week with uh, a former Sooner, and he'll have some more former Sooners and maybe some current Sooners uh, coming onto the show as well. So make sure you're checking that out here on the Red Dirt Media YouTube channel, or uh, you can find the links if you're listening on the podcast later on. Uh, so a lot of shows coming together there, and we were all there in the same person or in the same place uh, in person there at the Noun Hotel this past weekend. So. We thank uh, Red Dirt Media for giving us the opportunity to be there to sit with some uh, some players. It was kind of a cool experience. If you missed out, like you really missed out, you need to be at the next one because it was pretty cool. It was intimate. There was only about 40 people there and there was about 10 OU football players. So at every table, there was players sitting there eating dinner with you. There were um, You were able to have conversations one-on-one with them. I, I spent some time talking to Jalil Farouk about college football in the state of Maryland, what that's like growing up. We got to learn about uh, his 11 uncles that he grew up with. Uh, and then you, you heard some panel interviews with uh, with several of the players there. So we got some perspective. I thought uh, Jaden Gibson threw out a great nugget there about how he was going to play in the SEC no matter what. And that's kind of a cool perspective. It's one thing to hear it from secondhand from like recruiting experts on sites and things like that. It's different to hear it from the mouth of the player while you're in the same room and kind of hearing that perspective and the urgency, the tone of voice. Uh, the body language behind just a simple sentence like that. So it was really cool. It was a special event. There's going to be more from Red Dirt Media. Uh, so make sure you're staying tuned to those types of events because it's a unique, special way to get access to the players and contribute to NIL causes in this, at the same time. So you get a lot of value out of uh, what you're able to get when you make a contribution to something like that. So uh, it was a really special event, and uh, Red Dirt Media did it first class. It was awesome. 
Yeah, first class. That's the uh, first thing that comes to mind when you think about Red Dirt Media and the the different production stuff that they've got going on, the content that's continuously uh, being put out. You know, from our show, Trevor Knightby, you know, joining the family as well. What Caden and Nick are doing and continuing to grow that podcast as well. Uh, it's been a hell of a lot of fun, and it's I uh, can't wait to see what this you know 2024 how this is going to unfold moving forward. Adam, I thought that one of the biggest takeaways, obviously, I didn't have a chance to be there in person. Um, you kind of got the royal treatment, first class. Um, dining uh, in a sense and a, and a phenomenal experience. One of the things that really stood out to me from some of the conversations that, that you know, that happened with you and some of the, you know, content that got put out, it definitely feels like this is an offense that Oklahoma fans should be very, very excited about, especially fans that are uh, that are a huge proponent of throwing the football down the field. I know that Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, Jalou uh, was very excited about the direction that this offense is going with Seth Luttrell, Joe John Finley calling plays, and the uh, the gunslinger Jackson Arnold under center as well. It's going to be a lot of fun watching this offense unfold uh, as we move into the 2024 season. Well, let's dive right into the offensive depth chart. So we put together a little prediction here. There's probably some names that are a little bit wrong uh, as things shake out, but this is kind of our best guess as far as uh, where the offensive depth chart stands uh, as it is today, February 20th. We're probably a couple of weeks out from the first spring practice, and we think things will shake out you know, throughout practice, and we'll see maybe even some different lineups once the spring game comes around. So let's kind of dive into this position group by position group. We'll start here at the top for those watching on YouTube. Uh, you'll be able to see this for those maybe listening on the podcast later. We'll link uh, to this particular graphic so you guys can see that. But let's start with wide receiver group here. Uh, three wide receivers that we've got on the depth chart here, Nick Anderson, Andrew Anthony, Deion Burks as your starters here. Tyler, pretty interesting because right off the bat here, a starter from last year, Jaleel Farouk, is actually listed as a backup there behind Andrew Anthony. Uh, do you think that's what's going to happen at the end of the day there? Well, I think a lot of it has to do, obviously, with the health of Andre Anthony tearing his ACL in the Texas game. That was the first weekend of October. So in terms of recovery, rehab, getting physically fit to be able to go, you know, for the 2024 season, he's not going to be available uh, for spring practice whatsoever. So ultimately, we do hope that he's ready for kickoff, uh, you know, come the month of September. But I, I don't think that it has as much to say about Jaleel. He's a fantastic football player, and I think that he's going to bounce back uh, and have a fantastic final season in Crimson and Cream. I just think it has more to do so with the overall talent and the depth that we've got at, at the uh, uh, the wide receiver room, you got to give a huge credit to Emma Jones. If anybody, all of our you know familiar listeners, frequent listeners that have joined this podcast, you know for each of the last couple of seasons, where we we were very down. Uh, basically with the outlook and, you know, kind of forecasting this wide receiver room going into this past season. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple of recruiting classes, Emmett Jones developing these guys. He's turned Oklahoma into what I think has an opportunity, this receiving core, a chance to be a top three, maybe in top, you know, top five uh, wide receiving core in all of college football this upcoming season. When you look at Nick Anderson, early All-American candidate, there's going to be a lot of preseason accolades about what Nick's going to be able to do going into this upcoming season. You've got some really solid depth behind him with Jaden Gibson, Zion Kearney, part of the 2024 class. I think that a lot of people are very excited, us included, about what this guy is going to be able to do. Probably the closest thing to C.D. Lamb that we've seen uh, since C.D. graduated from Oklahoma. And then you just kind of move down the list. Obviously, Andrew Anthony, Jalil Farouk, two guys. We know what we've got at Oklahoma with those two guys. Obviously, if, you know, if Andrew can come back and be healthy and you know, what he was Oklahoma's best wide receiver uh, a year ago up until that injury in the Cotton Bowl. Jalil's going to bounce back. You've got Jaquez Petaway going into his sophomore season. You've got to figure that he's going to take another step um, one more year in the system. Deion Burks, 
I know he's not, he wasn't on one of the graphics that got put out, you know, in terms of top 10 wide receivers in the transfer portal. Make no mistake about it. This guy is elite. This was a huge pickup for Oklahoma and Emmett Jones getting this guy from Purdue. He's an elite route runner, quick, explosive, elusive when he gets the ball out in space. I think that you're going to see a lot of plays from Deion Burks. And then, oh, by the way, you've probably got the fastest player on the team. Uh, sharing snaps with him, and that's Brennan Thompson. And I know a lot of Oklahoma fans, you know, watching Jackson Arnold in the bowl game, it it kind of felt like a common theme that we saw from Brennan Thompson whenever those deep balls were thrown to him. Uh, It was always underthrown by a few yards. He always had to pull up and and readjust the football. Feeding the narrative, the Dylan Gabriel hate, here it comes. Hey, not throwing Dylan Gabriel hate (laughs) whatsoever. Jackson Arnold is not going to have that problem in terms of underthrowing receivers consistently. Um, so yeah, this this is a wide receiver core, Adam. I'm super excited about going into this upcoming season. Uh, it's it's got to be fun for Jackson Arnold as well, having that many tool or toys to kind of play with. It's just a shame there's only one football to go around. I think absolutely loaded is just a great way to describe this wide receiver room right yeah. now. And you look at you know that project projected depth chart there. We only went back two two positions there, but no young mm-hmm. guys there. No no everybody's in their third year or more of college. No Jaquez sure. Petaway, no Zion Kearney, no Zion Raggins, um, not even Gavin Freeman. I know he's entering his third year uh, as a former walk on there, but. Um, really, it's all guys with a ton of experience that have produced at a high level. Um, mm-hmm. And and a guy like Jalil, Jalil Farouk there, um, he's a guy that, you know, we put him second behind Andrew Anthony. It's it's kind of unclear, like, what type of role he plays. And, and we know he's a stud. Like, we know he's got the capability to do a lot of things. He's mm-hmm. uh, a dynamic type of receiver. He's he's built a little differently than most of the other guys there. He's not going to be maybe the fastest guy, but man, he's, he's got just a different build. It's just different dynamic there. So there's a lot of weapons, a lot of ways that um, you can play around with these guys. And it's you, again, you mentioned it like a year ago this time, we were like, man, I don't know what's going to happen with the wide receiver room. A lot of unproven (laughs) uh, aspects there. And, um, I'll throw up the the chat there from the live chat there. Gibson going to take another step. I agree. I mean, that dude really came on late in the end of the year, had five touchdowns Mm -hmm. on the season. That's, that's, I mean, for the amount of catches he had, that's nothing to sneeze at there. That's a guy that's finding a way to get in the end zone on limited opportunities. Uh, And he's doing it, you know, as a, as a guy that's six, five, you don't often think of that as a deep Mm -hmm. threat, but that's what he is. I mean, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty solid touchdown to catch ratio for, for Mr. Jaden Gibson, a fantastic season a year ago. And, you know, Adam, I think that if there is one question mark going into this upcoming season about the, the wide receiver room, it's gotta be, how do you replace the production of Drake Stoops? Um, I'm not sure that many people would have said that going into this, going into uh, last season, but you know, ultimately when you're replacing statistically the best wide receiver in the big 12 double digit, you know, touchdown catches, how are you going to go about replacing that level of production? that's left behind from Drake Stoops' departure uh, to the program, going to be playing on Sundays, hopefully. And I, I think that that's going to be one of the things where it's it's not just simply going to be a plug-and-play type of thing with, with this offensive system, but it, one of the good things that Oklahoma does, does have going for them is you've got a couple of guys that um, maybe are not quite as, I don't know, as sure-handed as Drake Stoops was, but you've got a couple of guys uh, like a Dion Burks or Jaquez Petaway, or may- maybe even a guy like Jalil Farouk, who now that there is a little bit of a, uh, a spot that's opened up on the interior, maybe that's a position that fits Jalil Farouk's you know, skill set a little bit better. So again, Oklahoma's going to have to figure out a way to replace 12's production, but make no mistake about it, they've got the guys collectively. I think that you could realistically say that Oklahoma's about six to seven wide receivers deep in that room. It's going to be a lot of fun watching them air it out. 
we went to Twitter earlier today and we said, what position battle on the offense are you most interested in? Everyone just kind of grouped in <laughs> offensive line there yeah. together because there's a position battle at every single position here. Um, before yeah. we, we jump into this, I had to, I had to look at this and go, okay, like your, your left tackle is your insurance and right next to your left tackle is your right guard. Who's usually, or your left guard rather, who's usually a little quicker. They're, they're able to get out and, and get things done pretty quickly there on the edge. You want a great pulling guard there. That reminded me of our sponsor, 29th Street Tag Agency. I fooled you there. You didn't think that was coming. 29th Street Tag Agency, they're located in South Oklahoma City. They're, they're there for all your tag, your license, um, your plate needs, anything like that. And they've got insurance right next door. So you can do it all in one stop. Uh, they're linked in our description, both here on YouTube and on the podcast. Um, so you can book your appointments really easily. I, I know I love doing that, knocking that out at lunch, having an appointment on the schedule. So it uh, makes it super easy. They do a great job. So we appreciate them sponsoring the show. And I thought they were perfect because your left tackle is your insurance. That's kind of gone back to the left side of the line now that we've got a right-handed quarterback back under center there. So your left tackle, um, you're projecting Jacob Sexton, your left guard, uh, Gary and Hatchett, the transfer out of Washington, your center. This is interesting. Josh Bates over Troy Everett is what uh, we predicted here. Right guard, Fabichi Nwewu, the transfer out of North Texas, former uh, I think second team freshman All-American mm-hmm. or first team freshman All-American by the athletic. And then at right tackle Spencer Brown kind of seems like what, what we're expecting here, but I mean, are there any battles maybe that you're looking at closer or maybe that you're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm maybe the most unsure about right guard or left guard or a certain position here that maybe is more up in the air than others. Well, I think that, I mean, as we sit here right now, I think that we can probably realistically say that Jacob Sexton is probably the only one that we know definitively is going to be at one of those two tackle positions. Obviously, you would expect Spencer Brown, the transfer from Michigan State, he's going to be filling the other role on the opposite side of Jake. Uh, Gearin Hatchett, you know, f- former, <laughs> you know, j- part of the uh, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line at Washington, he's going to factor in as well. But I think realistically, Adam, when you look at this offensive line, one through five, there's going to be a position battle uh, at every single one of these spots that Bill Beanbow is going to have to, you know, try out and d- decide from put together a really solid lineup, you know, come week one, because unlike we've, uh, unlike Bill has been afforded the luxury of being able to do each of the last, you know, 10 years or so, you can't, you cannot wait four to five weeks for your offensive line to figure out who those top five or maybe even that six-man rotation is going to be. Because when you look at the level of competition that Oklahoma is going to be facing, you look at the SEC, you've got to be able to use this entire offseason to figure out who your best five to six are. And then that way you can use those first couple of weeks of the season to really iron things out offensively. We know that Garen Hatchett's going to be part of the fold. We know Jacob Sexton's going to be part of the fold. But really, for me, it's okay – even though these are two guys that you can go ahead and pencil in as being part of that first five, where do they? Where do you slot them in terms of the guard position, in terms of t- tackle? What side of the line are they going to be playing on? And, you know, Adam, this is, to me, this is the biggest question mark on this football team going into this upcoming season. You're replacing all five starters on the offensive line. Four are going to the NFL. The other is sitting in Columbia, Missouri right now, thanks to some tampering and a huge payday. He's living life extremely well. But this room looks completely different than it did during the bowl game, and it looks a hell of a lot different than it did just two months ago. So this unit, I believe, is the biggest difference, Adam. And we can touch on this as we continue to go on throughout the course of the offseason. We start to get some practice report updates. This unit, I believe, is the difference between a seven-win season and a nine, possibly even ten-win season for Oklahoma. Bill's got his work cut out for him, but make no mistake about it, the guy can recruit, the guy can evaluate, and the guy can develop. Bill will figure it out. I'd love to hear what people that are listening live or maybe even later on are thinking about as far as the one 
position along that offensive line that needs to have the most success probably this spring to set up for a great fall. For me, I think it's going to be right tackle. You've got a guy in Spencer Brown that's experienced out of Michigan State that should be able to to slot in there, but there's also not I don't have a great sense of confidence that okay, he's going to be challenged and pushed by someone behind him because there's not a lot of depth at tackle. You're you're looking at your backups as probably Logan Halland on the left side and maybe Heath Ozida on the right side. I think he's probably more of a guard. So oh, maybe you go with Michael Tarquin, the uh, Florida and USC transfer, who I think was probably a little bit better as a guard than he was a tackle. So yeah. I think there's there's just questions there. I don't I I know we've got lots of talented guys in the freshman class that are incoming, but it's very very rare to have a Caden Green. Or, or anybody from that freshman uh, tier that's going to start and do really well um, from day one uh, on mm-hmm. campus. So I want to see some more competition, especially from the younger guys that are in year two, maybe year three in the in the program, to be able to start and and not just mm-hmm. start, but really push that those guys at tackle to be better, to provide depth, because uh, things could get a little dicey there with injuries. Well, and even though that there's a lot of unproven um, commodities that are part of this offensive line just simply because they haven't played together or you've got a guy that's, you know, maybe going into his second season uh, like a Josh Bates or, you know, Jacob Sexton, who this is going to be his first full year as, you know, firmly being cemented as a, you know, a starter at one of the tackle positions. I don't think that a, I don't think that enough attention or enough credit is being given to the pickup of Michael Tarquin, obviously the guy that's spent some time playing on the offensive line down in Gainesville and then out at Southern Cal. He's a guy that I, I don't think he's going to be a starter, especially day one, but he's a good, solid depth piece uh, that's played a lot of football, veteran. He's seen it all. He's played in a ton of big games. And then also, Adam, you, you talked about Eugene Brooks. You talked about Eddie Pierre-Louis, two guys that, you know, physically right now, they are ready to play uh, d- day one, and they're only going to get bigger. They're only going to get stronger. These are two guys that have a lot of expectations, and those are two guys that you – I think that, you know, as the year goes on, if you if you know if somebody does go down or you lose a couple of pieces, I think that those are going to be two guys that are a little bit further along by comparison to some other true freshmen that we've had join this offensive line over the past few seasons. And we haven't even talked about Logan Halland or Heath Ozada, you know, guys that have been a part of this program for a couple of seasons now. They've seen what it looks like. They know what NFL type offensive line play looks like from the guys that they've backed up the last couple of seasons. So we'll see what what uh, what spring football unveils. I think that the wide or the uh, offensive line room is one in which spring football is going to really reveal the most uh, to us about, you know, kind of projecting what this group is going to look like going into this upcoming fall. At the tight end position, we're projecting Jake Roberts as the first overall there and Davin Mitchell uh, there yep. second, but there's a lot of guys in this room. And I think there's probably going to be, this is going to be a competition Ugh. that goes late into fall to kind of develop, okay, who's your, who's your one, two guys that you're really counting on. Uh, you've got Bauer Sharp, the transfer from Southeast Louisiana, I know they're the mud dogs. I don't even have to look it up. Uh, they drink water. And then uh, Josh Fanul comes back after transferring in from Cameron University, had never played football in his life, was a basketball player by trade. He was actually at the Sooner sit-down. Uh, this is going to make me sound like a really old man. He's a very nice young man. He actually went out of his way, came over, shook my hand, introduced himself to me. Um, I was just trying to sit in the shadows and be in the background uh, and let other people kind of interact with the players. And he like specifically sought me out and said hi. That was kind of cool. Um, but so you've got a lot of different guys in that tight end room that are, are competing here for some playing time. And, um, really Jake Roberts is the one that 
has the most experience. I'm sure OU will probably want to play him a lot, considering that his younger brother is Nate Roberts down the road to Washington, one of the top tight ends in the 2025 class. So would love to show off, hey, here's what you could do. Here's what your brother is doing on Mm -hmm. campus in Norman. Uh, So it sounds like he probably is the one that they're going to give at least the first opportunity to take that number one spot. Yeah, I don't want to sound too critical or too Debbie Downer, but Adam, this far and away has been Oklahoma's worst position group on offense since Braden Willis graduated and left two years ago. Now, you know, Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley, they have got to figure out a way to get more out of this position group on on offense, especially in the passing game. And, you know, I I know Austin Stogner, great kid, you know, did some really, really good things for this football team over the past few seasons. Uh, But, you know, Dylan Gabriel really struggled. Um, in terms of seeing the field down the middle of the field in between the uh, in between the hash marks, Jackson Arnold simply does not have this problem. They've gotten bigger, they've gotten more athletic, and they've gotten a lot more versatile this offseason. When you look at the three new guys that they've got in this room, obviously Jake Roberts, he's a veteran. He's a guy that's played Power 5 or Power 4, uh, four football now. Uh, he's a guy that's a little bit bigger stature, probably going to be a guy that you don't really split out wide too often. He's probably going to be a hands-in-the-dirt uh, on the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Devon Mitchell, you know, five-star, one of the best tight end recruits in the country, whether it's 2024 or, you know, 2025 where he reclassified from. Devon Mitchell is going to have an opportunity to really make some plays from the tight end position that we haven't seen since, you know, Mark Andrews or Jermaine Gresham, Grant Calcaterra, throw his name in there as well. And then kind of the uh, the unknown in the room that's got a lot of people excited is Bauer Sharp, the transfer from, you know, from the, uh, uh, the you know, down there, the Mud Dogs. I think that this is going to be a position group, Adam, where depending on the opponent and the matchup that week, you're going to see the tight end position get used a little differently than you would uh, some of the other position groups on this football team because it's going to come down to matchups. It's going to come down to scheme. You know, Devon Mitchell might be able to do something attacking this Alabama defense that J- Jake Roberts just simply cannot because of athleticism and versatility. So, but make no mistake about it, tight end is a position that Oklahoma has got to get better at. They've got to get more production out of this room. Uh, that way you're not playing 10 versus 11 uh, when Oklahoma takes the field. You know who might be the biggest mystery guy in this room is Caden Helms. So I'll agree with Irrational Sam. There you go. In the chat. I was waiting Wanted for to it. to see some more from Caden Helms. We saw him at the Sooner sit down as well. He's a regular here on the Red Dirt Media channel. And just, <laughs> yep. it feels like really hasn't been able to have the right timing to get his opportunity in this offense. And he's a guy that I think he's a little freaky in a good way. Like freaky in the sense that he could play that split out position a little bit. He's got some great size. He's got some great speed sure. and athleticism. Um, he's, I think, could be a true weapon in the receiving game, but just have to be right, you know, healthy at the right time in the right place. And I think he's got, you know, two years of college experience at this point. Like that's going to give him a big leg up over even a guy like um, Bauer Sharp, who has been in college, but at a different level. It's different when you're at OU. So um, Caden Helms is a guy that I want to see what he's able to do, especially this spring and and hopefully into fall practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is a room that I could see definitely shaking up quite a bit as uh, as things go on because there's a lot of unknowns there. I think there's a lot of depth, and I think you like where the health is because Austin Stogner, he had that you know those injuries when he was at OU the first time around and, and never really seemed to truly recover from that. So sure. uh, looking to see some good health there. Let's move on to our next position. Obviously, a quarterback here. Maybe a little bit easier to predict with Jackson Arnold being the surefire sure? number one. <laughs> I don't think that Casey Thompson or or Michael Hawkins are probably going to pass him up. We're going to put Casey Thompson no. at that number two position there behind Jackson Arnold. Um, and then I would assume probably have maybe a and or uh, position there at number three between Michael Hawkins and Brendan Zerbrug. They're the two freshmen. But this is still an interesting battle nonetheless because you want to see Jackson Arnold get pushed. 
Um, you want to see him develop and improve. And then you also kind of want to know, like, what is Casey Thompson, a guy that has gone through some injuries? Like, what type of player is he? Is he kind of the emergency, like, go in for a few plays here and there? Or is he the type of guy that you can go, okay, Jackson Arnold maybe is hurt for two or three games. We're ready to roll with Casey Thompson. I think there's mm-hmm. some some interesting things that we'll learn over the course of the spring here. Yeah, make no mistake about it. And again, I know that what Oklahoma fans are quarterback position is always going to be the focal point for for OU football. You know, when you talk about the the legacy, the tradition, the the elite level type of quarterback play that we've been you know simply spoiled, especially you know over the last twenty to twenty five years. Uh, I think that Jackson Arnold is the next guy to you know really you know kind of take the baton and run with it. And I know that a lot of Oklahoma fans. Uh, maybe don't di- maybe don't give Dylan Gabriel the credit that he's due. I mean, this is obviously you know an offense a year ago that was the number three total offense in the country, the number four scoring offense in the country. This offense was able to put up points time and time again all season long, uh, just sometimes not when it mattered. But this is a there is a reason, Adam, why Dylan Gabriel is sitting in Eugene right now. And that that's not a shot at Dylan that, you know, that has absolutely no bearing on, you know, his abilities as a college quarterback. He's a top five to 10 quarterback in college football. But when you look at the upside, when you look at the projection, you look at what Oklahoma had sitting behind him in Jackson Arnold. I don't think that there's another player on this roster that the next six and a half months are more important for than Jackson. He's obviously he's got the talent. He's got the arm talent. He can make every throw on the field. But you're going into a season where you've got a new offensive coordinator or, you know, two new co-offensive coordinators, a brand new scheme. And I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of um, attention has gone into, okay, well, how does Jackson go from the Jeff Levy offense to the Seth Luttrell offense? What many people really don't know, what Jackson Arnold ran in high school at Denton Geyer is very, very similar to what Seth Luttrell likes to do schematically on offense. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a system for a quarterback, it is a dream system to be in. And I think that Jackson Arnold, first fall offseason as the guy, he's going to get all the reps. The offensive scheme is going to be designed off of Jackson's skill set. And the thing you talked about, Casey Thompson, Adam, you made a really good point. I'm not sure that Casey Thompson's biggest asset, obviously we Obviously, you don't want to have to see Casey Thompson on the field this year, but make no mistake about it. If he does find his way on there, he's been in enough big games. He's put he knows what it takes to win at this level. But I think that Casey's biggest role and his biggest contribution this year is going to be in the role of a mentor and a leader for both Jackson, uh, but also for Michael Hawkins as well. You know, this is a guy that he's been in those big games. He's been in those rooms. He's been in every type of situation that could ever be thrown. Almost at every a quarterback college, room at, across the country. At, absolutely. He's been all over the place. But, yeah, I think that Casey's ability to mentor both of these guys, both, you know, keeping Jackson, you know, engaged, keeping him level-headed over the course of the season, but also mentoring Michael uh, to be able to get him ready to be, you know, be able to take the baton and run with it uh, once Jackson Arnold's time in Oklahoma is over. But, again, I'm excited to see what Michael Hawkins is going to bring to the table when you look at his skill set, the athleticism, what he can do outside the pocket. Quarterback's going to be a very fun position to watch this upcoming spring and can't wait to watch uh, 10 sling it this upcoming fall. I think, is he changing the number 11? I think that's there's the case, right? I, I think that's the case. Okay. Look pretty good. Yeah. We got almost every response on Twitter that we we asked earlier what position battle they were most looking forward to. We got one that said quarterback. And so I asked, it was from Switzer Boy, and I said, why specifically quarterback are you most interested in that? Uh, and they said, hey, you know, they want to see how close number two is behind Jackson Arnold. I think that could tell you a lot. It might, hopefully it's because Jackson Arnold looks so good that there's a big gap there and not that, yep. okay, he's looking kind of average and it's kind of all grouped together. 
Um, but also kind of taking the parallels of like Spencer Rattler and how during the 2019 season when Jalen Hurts was here, we heard great things about Spencer Rattler. He came in at the end of games when there were blowouts, and he looked really great mm-hmm. because he had he has great arm talent. He he absolutely does. He's probably going to get drafted in the third or fourth round. Then we saw in 2020, like there was some up mm-hmm. and down. And then 2021, it's like, man, you almost regressed a little bit, even though you still had great arm talent. It's just kind of a mental aspect there. So Jackson Arnold has a lot to prove. And like now's the time to go out and do that and show that separation in the spring, even against a veteran like Casey Thompson. So um, I think there's a lot of intrigue and interest there. And, and like you mentioned with Michael Hawkins and even Brendan Zerberg too, like, okay, what type of guy do we have in one of these guys? Is it mm-hmm. someone like Nick Evers that we're, we're scared to put on the field in their freshman <laughs> year? Or is it someone that you go, okay, if Jackson Arnold's out for a little while, we've got Casey Thompson, who's a vet, and we've got an elite you know talent in one of these freshmen that – we know they can come in and at least not just, you know, totally drop the ball in every play and, and, sure. and ruin maybe a potential win against someone like a South Carolina or an Auburn, if you have to, for example. So um, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on there, even though the depth chart, we kind of know what it is. It's Jackson Arnold and probably Casey Thompson. That's mm-hmm. probably what it's going to be. Um, so that leaves us with our, our final position group on the depth chart for offense running back <laughs> Gavin Sawchuk. I think that's a pretty easy one there. We put Javante Barnes as number two here on the depth chart, which means guys like Taylor Tatum or or maybe anybody else behind that. Mm-hmm. But that's certainly probably up for debate, that number two role, because Javante Barnes had kind of a weird year. We're still not really mm-hmm. sure what happened there. So how do you see that playing out? Yeah, a lot of change in DeMarco's room going into 2024. Obviously, you lose Tawi Walker in the portal to Wisconsin. Marcus Major is now up there at Minnesota. Gavin Sawchuck, he's a clear-cut frontrunner, 2B running back one at the University of Oklahoma. Finished last season with five straight 100-yard games. I would like to see him, Adam, put on about 10 to 15 more pounds of muscle before the month of September. He was listed at about 195 to 200 pounds. You've got to beef that frame up just a little bit playing in this league against some of these SEC defenses. I think he's clear-cut running back number one. Javante Barnes, I went ahead and put him in there at number two. In 2022, Adam, he showed some real flashes about what he could be when he's fully healthy 2023 was a little bit different story it was a disappointment disappointment just because he couldn't stay healthy kind of felt like there were some nagging injuries that plagued him all season long what does he do in 2024 to bounce back uh that's gonna you know there a lot remains to be seen about javante barnes and then really running back number three or really if you kind of want to you know factor in some of these guys into that second running back uh part of the rotation you know a guy like caleb hicks who you know many people if you listen to gabe and teddy who had an opportunity to go out there to some of those practices last season and kind of get a look behind the curtain at some of these younger guys. Caleb Hicks's name came up time and time again as being really, really impressive. Could be a nice, you know, steady force at the running back position for Oklahoma. You know, Sam Franklin, the transfer that, you know, DeMarco Murray brought in. There was a handful of guys that Oklahoma could have potentially gotten at the running back position. Sam Franklin was the one that ultimately DeMarco Murray settled on and brought him to Norman. Xavier Robinson, the true freshman out of Carl Albert guy that's probably the most physically developed running back, which is kind of crazy to say as a, as a true freshman, but he's, you know, measuring in at about six foot three, 230 pounds. And then, Oh, by the way, can't believe it's taken us this long to bring it up. You've got the number one running back in the country coming in at along you, Texas and Taylor Tatum. So the fact that he's not a mid-year enrollee, he's not going to be coming in until summertime. It's going to be a little bit difficult to get Taylor Tatum on the field in year one, but I like the overall outlook of this uh, running back position, but you know, we talked about it on this podcast, Adam, the running back position at Oklahoma. I mean, it's 
there's a reason why it's on the short list of RBU. I mean, it's that way for a reason. You talk about some of the all-time greats. You talk about the level of production that Oklahoma has gotten from this group time and time again over the history of this program. We've kind of fallen off in a sense, I think. Um, it's We haven't gotten that same level of elite productivity. We haven't had that guy be a part of this running back room, maybe since Samaje or even Joe. Rodney kind of felt like he was going to be that next guy. Obviously, the injury bug kind of bit him a little bit, but – Going Kennedy into the Brooks. SEC, Kennedy Brooks don't, was don't good. Don't disrespect but my man Kennedy. Not disrespecting Kennedy. Fantastic college running back, but make no mistake about it. When you look at some of the all-time greats, he wasn't. He's not Demarco. He's not you know Samaje or Joe or Adrian Peterson. Well, nobody's twenty-eight. There's there's a reason for that. <laughs> but for Oklahoma, with the league that they're going into, with running the football, you've got to figure out a way to get more pro, uh, more production, more explosive plays out of the running back position. We'll see if they can do that this year. One thing that's going to be interesting to watch is the difference in the Seth Luttrell offense uh, versus the Jeff Levy offense and how it affects that running back room. Because I, I do wonder, you know, does that change things and make it easier for Gavin Sawchuk and he's even better and he's got confidence and health now coming into the year? Sure. Or is it a situation where it's like, well, he's still good, but the change in the offense and the way they run the ball favors a Javante Barnes or an Xavier Robinson mm-hmm. or somebody like that. And maybe do we see a new lead back come into play? Because uh, it is, it's not surprising or shocking at all when a true freshman comes in like a Samaj P Ryan or an Adrian Peterson. I know those guys are elites, but so is Taylor Tatum, you know, as by all accounts and what he's coming in with that ranking. So is that mm-hmm. going to shake things up and do we see like something different than what we're expecting there, but in a good way, potentially where it's like, you can still count on Gavin, but now you've got, you know, an all American type running back sitting there in one of those mm-hmm. newer guys. So a lot of options I'm not worried about necessarily, think we're going to be more focused on the offensive line and how they're able to block for these guys but yep. i think there's enough talent there and still some interesting things to watch unfold for uh for the, throughout the spring as we uh we see spring practice and spring games so um some interesting things there on the offensive side of the ball mm-hmm. we will talk about the defensive side of the ball next week so make sure you're tuning in for that uh but i think we need to talk about some exciting things that happen on the diamond this weekend let's talk diamond sports adam this is the segment you've been looking forward to the most obviously baseball is your sport OU baseball, the start of the year off two and one, really good performance down in Arlington over the weekend. You know, tough, hard fought game, taking the loss against Oregon, but they rebound, knocking off a top 25 opponent in Tennessee. And then they knock off Nebraska in the finale on Sunday in extra innings. So, Adam, I know that coming into this season, you know, over the, the, you know, listening to, you know, people on this podcast over the last couple of months, there really hasn't been a, a huge amount of baseball talk just because there was so much uncertainty about what this, you know, baseball team was going to look like going into this upcoming season. So after an impressive opening weekend where you took two out of three, just kind of what are your overall initial thoughts on this baseball team uh, going forward? Yeah, I thought I was going to be getting on this podcast um, when we were watching OU Nebraska kind of unfold Sunday morning, early afternoon. I thought I was going to have to get on this podcast and try to say, yes, we went one and two in Arlington, but things looked really promising. And then Jackson Willett steps up to the plate, Mm -hmm. uh, has the walk off his only hit of the weekend. I thought he was impressive uh, throughout the weekend, despite only getting one hit. He was on base considered uh, quite a bit. He led the team in walks with four through the weekend. So he's a guy that I'm impressed with, just his presence and his approach at the plate there. So, uh, And he looks solid defensively as well. So uh, like what I saw to him, but he kind of turned the narrative of the whole weekend going from one and two to two and one. And you, you walk away going, okay, we beat Nebraska, who I think is they're, – they're solid when it comes to Big Ten teams, not necessarily – 
um, the baseball conference and best competition out there, but they're solid. You beat a top 10 program in Tennessee in extra innings and a hard fought battle on Saturday night. And then really Oregon, I think they're a quality program as well. So no, no shame in losing to the ducks. You're not going to win every game when it comes to baseball. Uh, but overall, I'm really happy and impressed with where this team is, especially from the pitching side of things in years past, it's been mm-hmm. okay. We have our guys that we think are our starters. We, we really aren't sure on the bullpen and we just kind of figure it out about a month into the year. And we kind of resort and organize things. That's kind of what we saw last year with Braden Carmichael taking over probably that lead position as a Friday night starter, James hit coming into play later in the year. Now we look at it and we go, okay, Braden Davis, James hit, and, uh, and all your starters there are looking incredibly solid. Brendan, Brendan Gurton getting the start on Saturday. They look solid. It, it looks at this point, it's early. A lot of things can change, of course, but it looks like, okay, you've got three dependable starters there. You don't have to toy around with that too much. If somebody else comes on and takes over a starting position, you look at that and you go, great. Someone else was just so much better than Brayden Davis or, or Brendan mm-hmm. Gurton or somebody that they overtook that role as a starter. Awesome. They were great. They struck out, um, you know, seven, nine, and 10 uh, batters respectively throughout the weekend. And then you had incredible depth being shown in the bullpen. You had the, the, the Witherspoon brothers, the junior college mm-hmm. transfers, Malachi and Kyson coming in, hitting mid nineties uh, in relief there pitching you know, quite a bit, probably a little bit too much. I wish they would have been pulled a little bit earlier in both their outings, but Overall, they looked excellent. We saw Ryan Lambert, the Missouri State transfer. He came in. He only threw off-speed pitches, and he didn't even get to show off his his 98-mile-an-hour fastball. We saw Jimmy Crook's brother, Dylan Crook's, come in, closed out the ninth inning versus Nebraska. Uh, So we just saw a lot of depth in that pitching room, or or I guess bullpen, I guess you would say in baseball. And Mm -hmm. so you just love where this, this staff is at this standpoint because you have great starters, it looks like. They're striking out guys at a really high clip. You've got... It, speed and heat coming in out of the bullpen there on your on your reliever side of things and we didn't even see several key guys that we were looking forward to uh from a pitching perspective so mm-hmm. there's depth there it looks like they're a little bit different from the mound perspective which just cr- creates a whole different type of ceiling that this team could reach mm-hmm. you know adam if you're if you're skip johnson and you're getting on the bus sunday afternoon uh, after you know finishing the weekend two and one with the you know the top 25 win over uh, Tennessee, you knock off Nebraska in, in extra innings. If, you, if you're Skip Johnson getting on the bus going back to Norman on Sunday, what what's maybe a guy that, that you were – I don't want to necessarily say surprised, but if you're Skip Johnson, who's a guy that really showed up that you thought, okay, this is what we expected from this guy or this is the type of performance uh, that, that we saw from this player? What's got, what's got Skip Johnson feeling excited about his ball club uh, You know, after the first weekend of the season? Last year, John Spikerman was – kind of slow to get started from the plate there and his hitting. I think for most of the year, he was below 200, which was really surprising. He started off with a bang in Arlington. He was excellent. Mm-hmm. So it looks like he's kind of picked up where he left off last season, where he was just on that upward trajectory throughout the season. Uh, and then Easton Carmichael, he hit 538 at the plate, uh, led the team in, in hits there in Arlington, was excellent, had a pair of doubles. I think as we record, a lot of people will know what happens with the Dallas Baptist result. That game is ongoing as we record. Struck out twice already, but um, I think you like where, where he's picked up his game uh, and being a power hitter uh, from that catcher position. He's DHing tonight, and that's going to be something that's kind of interesting to watch as we go forward is can he maintain that defensive position at catcher because that opens up some possibilities for you. Uh, Anthony McKenzie was out uh, this weekend with injury. Uh, you likely will see him go to first base. That'll help with the offense, even though Raka Garza Gongora, mm-hmm. best name on the team. He was uh, had a good showing in Arlington, but 
Uh, Anthony McKenzie is an upgrade there at first base, both defensively and at the plate. So if, if, if Carmichael can kind of stay behind the plate defensively, which he struggled with a little bit, uh, especially in game one against Oregon and game two against, or game three against Nebraska, that helps this team tremendously because then from the DH position, you can go with Rocco. You can go with, um, you know, uh, some other guys that maybe we haven't seen enough of yet that we want to see more from and, and maybe be able to develop even more power in this lineup. Because if Carmichael is your DH, I think that, I think that limits this team offensively of what they're able to do. So that's going to be some areas to watch and maybe some areas to improvement. Obviously, Oklahoma is about halfway through the midweek game against Dallas Baptist right now uh, up there in Dallas, down I-35. Adam, a big series this upcoming weekend. It's essentially, I mean, this this is your home opener. You've got uh, Wright State coming to town. Uh, game on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. You've got a doubleheader on Saturday. Big game on Sunday. Um Talk to the fan base here. I mean, th- this is this is a huge opportunity for Oklahoma to get off on a strong start. You had a fantastic opening weekend, and now you're coming back home against Wright State um, in what's going to be a fantastic opening weekend of baseball out at the Dale. I'm not going to have to get on my soapbox because I think OU fan base was excellent this weekend. I think people were tuning in. They were watching the games. They were listening to the games, even though they were on Flow Baseball, which is a really hard channel for a lot of people to get, get a hold of. People don't want to do it. I think there's a lot of people that carried over from softball and tuned into baseball. And there's a even, lot to be excited even when about. You, even when you have Flow Softball, it's still a tough watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the social media presence um, that I just saw from people tweeting about it, the, the amount of likes mm-hmm. that we got on our tweets – um, it was excellent. I, you know, our viewership's dropped a little bit since we stopped talking about football here on the live show, but those people aren't here. The people have stuck around still pretty good numbers here. So, uh, we'll take that. I think the fan base is getting behind this program. I think you're starting to see, we talked about this last year a lot, like, you know, skip Johnson kind of up and down, good year, bad year, good year, bad year. We had Omaha. We still won the postseason last year. And this year, I think there's high potential for something really good to happen this postseason. So I think the fan base is finally picking up on that a little bit, which is awesome. We're going to have great weather this weekend. Uh, down in Norman's should be 60s and 70s all weekend. And Wright State, don't let the name fool you. They're a team that has played in the postseason regularly uh, as recently. And so they're a team that OU will definitely be stretched to compete with. It won't be blowouts or anything like that. Um, we'll probably see OU drop a game to Wright State. That's how baseball goes but it's an opportunity to build the RPI just like we're doing down in Dallas Baptist this evening. And mm-hmm. um, you know, you're going to lose some of those midweek games. Wake Forest, number one team in the country lost earlier today to UNC Greensboro. Things like that happen in the midweek. Um, it's baseball. We got to ride the roller coaster a little bit, but we're going to be up high a lot more than we are going to be down low uh, as far as what we've seen from this baseball team so far. So a lot to be excited about. I'm, I'm pumped that we can put them second in our lineup after football. Normally we used to hide them at the end of the show when maybe only a few people were listening in at that point. Yep. But, uh, baseball has got me pumped. Uh, they've, they've earned it. Huge opportunity for Skip Sponge this weekend. Again, come out, pack the Dale. Uh, this is an opportunity to check out this baseball team. A lot of exciting young faces, a lot of good, solid baseball players. Chance for Oklahoma to continue riding the the momentum that they've started out the season with before they go out to Vegas to take on Pitt, Cal, and Ohio State. Get out, support this baseball team. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Another team that's having a hell, lot of, a hell of a lot of fun to start the season, Adam, Patty Gasso's bunch. They just, no big deal. Just keep on winning. Kind of a snoozer of a weekend, honestly, down in Lake Charles. Like, yeah, they pretty much run-ruled everybody. There wasn't – I mean, there was resistance. I don't think it was the cleanest uh, softball that OU could have played. But even then, they can kind of turn the switch on and just and start dominating teams. 
So I think you're you're starting to see some of the pitching develop. I'd still like to know who our number three option is uh, from the pitching, whether it's a starter or even out of the bullpen potentially, because um, you like what Kelly Maxwell has shown so far. Nicole May, we know she's solid. Um, she's excellent. She doesn't get enough props for what she's able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I think the team is they're slowly progressing. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of time here. They're going to play some more. Uh, postseason worthy teams and, and programs in uh, Loyola Marymount, San Diego State this upcoming weekend in the Mary Nutter. But for the most part, they're avoiding those top 10 types of programs that we saw all over the schedule last year. So there's some time to continue to rev the engine, continue to build out here, continue to see what someone like Ella Parker is able to do, someone that got her first career home run this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, someone that I, I was impressed with even in her first weekend uh, down in Mexico. So I think there's there's obviously a lot of talent, a lot of seniors, a lot of upperclassmen on this team, but there's certainly room for someone like Ella Parker to come in and carve out her mm-hmm. role uh, on this team and to to make a big impact this year and to get us really excited about uh, someone who might lead the team the following season when we lose so many players. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of just my general thoughts is like they're revving the engine. It's yep. not full speed yet, but despite that, they're still amazing. Still finding their footing, still figuring out what kind of what kind of softball team this is going to be. Patty always uses the first, you know, four to six weeks of the season to really kind of, you know, take a look at everything, everybody that she's got on their roster, putting some players that, you know, maybe you wouldn't necessarily think would be in these type of positions, but she strategically puts some of these girls in certain situations, whether it's in the circle, whether it's a pinch hitter, uh, you know, at a timeless situation during the game where she likes to really evaluate and see what she's got, you know, from top to bottom on this roster. You mentioned kind of a snooze fest weekend. Yeah, a little bit. Anytime that you go 5-0 and over the weekend, three of those wins by run rule, you outscore your opponents 36-1. to uh, I think Oklahoma gave up one run on Friday night, then they give up, they didn't give up another run the remaining four games of the weekend. So you've got five more games coming up this upcoming weekend at the Mary Nutter Classic out there in California. Doubleheader on Friday, one on Saturday, doubleheader again on Sunday. They start out Friday, Adam, against the top 25 team in Mississippi State. That should be Oklahoma's toughest test of the weekend, and really I'm honestly not sure how difficult that will be. This Oklahoma team is that good. 63 wins in a row? Does that is that where we're at now? I think so. And you know what's crazy about it is now that we get further and further away from that, you realize that they went through the entire postseason last year and didn't lose. And that's just insane to think about. And I know everyone probably wants to talk about like, will they hit 75? Will they hit 100? And I'm like, I they, who cares? Like, it's just they could, what they're doing right now. They could get to 74 by the time the conference play opens up. And I know that for, for all you softball fanatics out there, everybody that's been paying attention to what's going on across the country in softball, Texas is damn good. Oklahoma State is still the same Oklahoma State team that we've, you know, that we've seen time and time again up in Stillwater. Minus one pitcher. Minus one pitcher. Boy, does she look good (laughs) in a different uniform a little bit further south down I-35. It's amazing what a change of scenery and actual preparation looks like uh, once you actually (laughs) get a a part of a a really good coaching staff. But no, I mean, all, all joking aside, this is this has been a hell of a lot of fun to watch these first nine games of the season this team is stacked from top to bottom it's going to be a fun regular season to watch how this thing how this team continues to build and do what patty gasso's teams do they dominate over the course of the regular season and then they peak at just the right time going into postseason play and adam i know that a lot of people OU softball you know jason fairs uh kind of put a little bit of a sneak preview out there damn that grass looks good out there 
It does. And I used to lay sod. I have the shoulder injury to prove it. And uh, it looks pretty good. It looks really good as far as how uh, early they've got it out. Obviously, they're experts. They're, they're not like me rolling sod out there uh, in my college days. But yeah, I'm hopeful that it, it, it you know, smooth, it no pun all. intended there. But like, uh, I don't want to see any types of like field issues, which I would not blame, you know, the staff or the crew for having those types of things because it's just a short timeline right now. Getting that mm-hmm. sod to root in there and stay put is going to be tough because um, we're two weeks away. So yeah, Adam, let's let's uh, let's keep it on a high note real quick. Talk about Jeannie Baranchek's crew. Um, you know, kind of an up and down week uh, last last week, but ultimately they're just coming off of just a few minutes ago. They actually just closed out a pretty impressive win on the road at Cincinnati. Kind of getting them back on the right track, build some more momentum going into this upcoming weekend. Do we want to touch on men's basketball? Let's let's touch on women's first. Okay. I guess. Stay positive. Great, yeah. Great long road trip. I mean, you go out to West Virginia. I think that was the one that kind of circled, you know, ha- after you beat Baylor at home on pink night, a, a great win. Then you go on that long road trip to, to Morgantown. The way this team plays, they're exciting. They're fun to watch. They're flying up and down the court. They're hitting tons of three-pointers. Yeah, they turn the ball over. It's kind of like you live and die by it, just like we talked about with baseball, with the chaos um, there and, and, and the way they run the bases. You win some, you lose some there, and I think that kind of got OU in trouble a little bit in West Virginia there on Saturday. But despite the long road trip, you you turn around today, you win at Cincinnati. Um, I, I don't think that they came home in between those. It really wouldn't make sense to do that. So um, it, you like that they're able to go there and just say, hey, like let's kind of reset take out the Bearcats team that's not very good and put yourself in a position to continue to rise despite the loss to West Virginia. You beat Baylor last week. You're projected as a six seed right now. You're continuing to climb there and you're getting to a point where we can start talking about could they get to a four seed where you're starting to host that first round in the Lloyd Noble Center, which I think could help this team tremendously uh, because while there are some really good things about this team and the way they're constructed right now, unlike last year, you're not reliant on one or two players to carry the load for you. That's helped this team be more balanced. At the same time, you don't have your go-to person necessarily that you probably want scoring all the points that's going to be um, helpful in those hostile uh, postseason mm-hmm. environments. So I think being at home could really help this team. Yeah, absolutely. They're a hell of a lot of fun to watch the way that they play, the way that they score the basketball. They're very versatile in the way that they're able to attack on the offensive end. It's a it's a breath of fresh air watching women's basketball's half court offense when you flip it, it over so to the other fun. side. So much more fun, so much more productive and efficient as well. Um, and, and again, I know that it's Kansas, but God, is it frustrating watching OU try to score the basketball in the half court offense when the men are playing? It, it's it's rough. It's not fun. It and I four I, four made shots in the second half on Saturday. And again, I know it's Kansas. They're the, they're the Jayhawks for a reason, but any time that you can only make four made baskets, one of which was in the final ninety seconds, was a was a bunny. I think the Sam Godwin made. It's just tough to watch, man. It's brutal, and I know that there's a lot of mixed emotions out there. There's a lot of different takes right now, and you know the temperature, and you know trying to gauge the outlook on this basketball program, Porter Mosier especially. I, don't, I mean, we don't have to dive too far into this, but I mean that. It's just not good. And I know that they're 18 and nine, but I don't know if they're getting to 20 wins, Adam. I don't think that it's just a given they're going to make the tournament. No, you play at OSU this Saturday. That's going to be a dog fight. Absolutely playing in their place. You're going to um, then turn around and play uh, at Iowa State, who I know we beat earlier in the year, but they're, they're an animal in the Hilton Coliseum there. And then you finish out playing Houston at home, who might be the best team in the country. And then Cincinnati at home to to finish out the year. 
you got to beat Cincinnati. You got to beat Oklahoma State. If you don't do that, then like you're scrapping and clawing in the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City, and that's not a place that OU necessarily plays really well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to think about, okay, let's just think about this season. Let's not try to look bigger picture around where OU basketball should be and, and, and things like that. So I just want to look at, okay, yeah, I guess it's an improvement over last year. Are they playing in a manner that I go, okay, we'll finish the year in a, in a way that we go into 2024, 2025 season and go, yep, we're, we're still on the right trajectory there. And I don't know. I have questions because I think best case scenario is we, we get to 20 mm-hmm. wins, maybe 21. We go into the tournament. I know they're projected, I think, as an eight seed right now. That's, that's just that's where this program has lived in the later years of Lon Kruger, and, and it's just not successful. Like You have a mm-hmm. chance to, to maybe win one game, and then you're playing maybe one of the top four teams in the entire country to just get decimated there. And I, I don't know. They're not playing fun basketball. It's not interesting. It's not exciting. And it makes you wonder about, like, okay, well, it, it, are we going to lose key pieces because Otega Orway Oway is going to say – uh, well, this isn't really all that interesting. Maybe I, I, you know, I, my playing time went down throughout the year or my success went down throughout the year is why not go somewhere closer to home? And I'm not just saying like him specifically, just him as an example, there's probably other guys on the team that would fit that criteria as well. Well, his, his play has been somewhat of a steady decline over the last couple of weeks of season. Obviously the confidence is, is not what it used to be. His, you know, shooting the basketball is not getting the same level of production, shooting the ball as he was at the beginning of the season. And again, I, I know that a lot of people, they ultimately, you know, they, they look at the fact that even though that this basketball program, Porter's done a hell of a job generating a lot of excitement, getting the fans out, getting the students back to being a consistent part of this, but Oklahoma just simply cannot get out of their own way. You pack the you pack the LNC for Texas. You get blown out. You pack the LNC. You have a huge opportunity in the biggest game of the year each and every season on your home court to knock off Kansas. And then you just find a way to lose these games time and time again down the stretch. And I know that they haven't had Rivaldo Suarez in the lineup the last couple of games. Arguably, he's been your best player since they flipped the calendar to the month of February. John Hughley been, has been un, unable to go with a leg injury. So, again, I don't want to just sit here and say that Porter Moser's team just continues to you know, you know, to fall apart. But this is kind of a pattern that we've seen from Oklahoma basketball where they start the year off strong. And then once you get into the meat and potatoes of your schedule in the Big 12 Conference, I mean, the, the physicality and the, you know, the brand of basketball playing that tough of a schedule night in and night out, it takes its toll on you. And Oklahoma just consistently year in and year out finds a way to, you know, tra- uh, to, to decline in terms of their play. And I'm sorry, but this schedule is not getting easier when you look at the last, you know, two to three weeks of this season. And I, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that's going to sit here and say if Oklahoma doesn't make the tournament that you know Porter Moser's got to go. Obviously, if if Oklahoma does have this, you know, huge end of the season collapse, then yeah, I think that the temperature gets a lot hotter on that seat that Porter's sitting on. But again, make no mistake about it, I think that people, you know moving the goalposts, for lack of a better metaphor, when Oklahoma started the year off as well as they did in non-conference play, you know, knocking off Providence, beating USC, wins that seemed, that were really, really good at the time, and then you get into Big 12 play, and I, I'm sorry, but you, you really shouldn't have changed your level of expectations for this basketball team just because of how they played the first couple weeks of the season. This is not a top 30 or top 40 basketball team. They're playing in the toughest conference by far. If you look at Joe Lunardi, they're going to have nine, possibly even 10 teams in the tournament this year. The Big 12 takes no prisoners, and I'm sorry, but this team continues to fall. 
And I just hope that they can figure out a way to win one, maybe two of these final six games so that they can get into March Madness. Because make no mistake about it, once you get out of the Big 12 play, and Porter talked about has talked about it in the media, once you see a different face than somebody in the Big 12, once you get into March Madness, then all bets are off. I'm not saying that this team's going to make it to a Sweet 16 or you know possibly an Elite Eight, but I could see this team as a you know as an eight or nine seed going out there and finding a way to make it to the second weekend in March. I don't know if I can agree with you on that because this team, the the challenge is they're, they're beating most of the teams they should like BYU, Cincy, the teams that are below them in the standings. The only exception there would probably be UCF losing on the road there, but they're also not really picking off any big wins ahead of them necessarily uh, outside of Iowa state. And that was the first game of big 12 play. It happened way back at the beginning of January. It, we didn't know it was necessarily as big of a win as it was probably at the time. And so we don't really have that moment of, Hey, we can go back and grab onto at least we beat, you know, this top 15, top 10 team and it was big upset and uh, we didn't have any business beating them just because of what we knew about Iowa State mm-hmm. in the, at the time there. So there's nothing really to grasp onto to say like, hey, this team could compete at a really high level. Even if they are an eight or nine seed, they could go around and they could beat, you know, top four team in the country in, you know, Purdue in, in day two of the tournament. Like you still have any of that type of hope going on with the program right now. So it's kind of a bummer. I know we're, we're kind of running up on time here and we could probably go on and on with the negativity around men's basketball, but hopefully they can go out in Stillwater, get a win over the Cowboys in a lot more convincing fashion than they were able to do in Norman and kind of build that momentum of let's play our best basketball here at the end of the year, despite what happened against Kansas this past week and, uh, and really start turning things around. Absolutely, Adam. Let's get out of here. Fantastic episode. Obviously, we're going we're gonna to be back next weekend, same time, same day. Talking OU defensive depth charts, probably not going to be as uh, in flux or up in the air as what we're seeing from offense over the course of this spring, but make no mistake about it, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to talk about this team and watch them uh, as the season gets closer and closer. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for watching this evening or listening on the podcast later on. We'll see you next week.